You're listening to the Rua Space Podcast. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Rua Space Podcast. I'm Phil, and I'm really glad that you've joined us today as we look to make space for the Holy Spirit. In this episode, I'm joined by Seth Taylor. Seth is a friend that goes uh, all the way back to graduate school and most recently is the author of two books, Feels Like Redemption and On Frame, two books that I thoroughly enjoyed, that I think about frequently, and that I would definitely recommend. In this episode, Seth takes us through kind of his own journey to finding freedom, and we discuss some of the themes that come out in a lot of his work, especially the importance of being present to our bodies. You know, I was at a conference recently, and the quote came up over and over that the issues are in our tissues. It turns out that our body actually stores trauma. It actually stores the events of our lives in a way that we can feel. It turns out as well that we are made of energy, my friends. Now this might sound weird and sort of a, you know, a little bit out there, but truly on a quantum level, we all are made of energy. On a, in a physics perspective, Everything is energy. And so Seth is going to walk us through this. What does it mean and look like? What is the importance of paying attention to our feelings? What does energy have to do with it? How does this relate to the Bible and the spirit? And he shares from his own story and experience what this has all meant. And so for some of us, this might be very new. And so I invite you to journey with an open mind. And in the end, you may not agree with everything. I'm sure that there are things Seth and I do not agree with or uh, agree with each other on even in this episode, but underneath the surface, there are some really important things that Seth talks about. Some ways that I believe can help you be challenged and encouraged, find freedom in your own life, better understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus who is making space for the Holy Spirit. And we named this episode Denying the Crucifixion based on a story that Peter Rollins tells about denying the resurrection. And so our hope is that it'll help you to think, that it'll expand your mind and spirit a little bit, and that in the end, you will grow closer to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the life that you were created for, this life, a full life that Jesus said that he came to bring us, life to the fullest. And one quick note about the recording. Seth lives in the city, which means that unfortunately there are some background sounds, some hammering and some things that we weren't able to edit out. However, I don't think it takes away from what Seth is saying, and that is life, right? This is one of the things that we experience and we stay present in the midst of. So, brothers and sisters, I hope that you enjoy my interview discussion with Seth Taylor. Seth, you know, dude, welcome to the Rua Space Podcast. Thank you so much. This is an honor. Yeah, dude. I'm excited to be on this. I, I appreciate it, man. Like I told, I don't know if your audience knows this, but I'm a fan, man. And I, I became a fan of, of Phil back in, in graduate school. We went to graduate school together, and when Phil would grab the mic, he just asked interesting questions. So the class would go from everyone sleeping to, like, 
Huh? What? Like, grow awake now. <laughs> Phil would ask a question. Maybe a little hyperbole there, but I appreciate uh, it. I appreciate no, man, I'm it, serious. Man. I'm serious, man. Uh, so, all right. So, Seth, your work has been one that has. Uh, so, I'm not. I'm not going to give it back. You know, your work has honestly stuck with me the last few years, and it. You know, with from my pilgrimage, which is a book about you know overcoming addiction and finding freedom, and and so much more. I know it was kind of rooted in pornography, but it went so much deeper. And now with on frame, and so kind of dealing with our own story in youth sports, as I've sort of dealt with it, to me, it, it often comes back to underlying all of it is this idea of not being asleep. <laughs> An invitation yeah. to be awake to our own feelings, to our own bodies. So can you kind of enter us in right now into your own journey with discovering this and kind of what you've found about the unconscious and the conscious and freedom? Yeah. Yeah. yeah you know, it's funny. Uh, I, I don't want to, I, I was raised very, very, very hardcore. Uh, like it was Pentecostal, but it was a pretty toxic form of it. You know, um, it was a real toxic form of it. And it was interesting because I was raised with this idea that Pentecostalism is the, is we get, we are the ones that get to celebrate our bodies. You know what I mean? Cause we're the ones dancing in the aisles and we're doing this, you know, dancing for Jesus kind of stuff. And, but, but the truth was like, we, I think back on it now and I think a lot of our expression was very sacrificial in the sense that it was more like us putting our bodies on the altar and setting it on fire for God kind of thing because we very much uh, I was raised with that very much like the, you know the the body of death you know this kind of we were just these vessels for sin mm. and uh, and um, and as a result of course when I would, there was this kind of stream of, of repression of emotion through my entire childhood and, and repression of the body, repression of desire, repression of everything. And so I found that, of course, you know, when you go, when you live a typical human, the typical human has pretty decent amounts of trauma, right? Sorry, I'm in the city. You might hear the car outside. <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> um, typical amounts of trauma, uh, you know, but then I had, you know, some pretty intense amounts of trauma. My father died when I was young and, and I – the way I dealt with all of that in my body was to repress everything. And so, of course, that, you know, repressed anger and repressed grief and repressed everything leads to massive amounts of anxiety and trauma because that all gets packed into the body. So in my in my mid-20s, I started coming out as real heavy depression. Um, when I got married when I was 27, it triggered it even worse because intimate relationship has a tendency to, to trigger the deep stuff. And, and so when I started my healing journey, you know, I was 33, I think it was pretty close to suicidal. Um when I started my journey, you know, my brother was in the same kind of circumstance and he was finding some healing at this, this place up in Alaska and this counseling center there called the white Raven center. And we were both evangelical Christians. And so we, you know, he was finding it in this kind of modality that was around native spirituality and it was freaking him out, but he was, but it was working. And when you're that desperate, you don't care. You're just like, it has to work, you know? So I'm like, well, what are you doing? And really all he was doing, this is what was fascinating. All he was doing was feeling. Mm -hmm. And it turns out that everyone, you know, he's like, he goes, well, it turns out, he goes, everyone has a spirit. We have a spirit. I'm like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. We used to think that. You know, and I've never actually experienced it, but you have a spirit, and your spirit is designed to heal you, and, it's, and it's a, it has the power to transform you. It says, so, you have to, but you have to switch to it. And the whole idea was, in a sense, was switching to that operating system, switching from the operating system of the mind, you know, the ego, mm -hmm. to switching to the operating system of the spirit, which is, in, you know, below the neck in the body. So he's like, just feel. I'm like, what do you mean feel? He goes, well, you're just the whole thing is learning how to feel what you feel. And he's like, well, how do you feel? I'm like, I'm. He goes, well, that's not a feeling. I'm like, what's it feel like? I'm like, uh, I don't, I don't know. 
He's like, well, that's, that's what you have to find out. He goes, and, and you know, it's very kind of feeling is healing kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So I just started early on. That's all it was about was a, a, a basic meditation practice. And, and I, you know, being a, a evangelical, I needed it framed in Christian language. And my brother's like, well, just think of it like this. He's like, praying is talking to God, right? I'm like, yeah. He goes, well, we do that too much. I'm like, what? And he's like, well, <laughs> good relationship. You listen more than you, when you talk. I'm like, Oh yeah, good point. He's like, and I'd always been kind of a terrible listener. So he's like, you know, you got to learn how to listen. I'm like, yeah, so meditation is listening. And I'm like, oh, so just be silent and, and try to pay attention to what your body's experiencing. So my first practice was just 10 minutes of just trying to feel my body. That's it. Trying to feel what was going on. And the thing is, after about two weeks, I was so desperate. I was every day two, you know, two or three, four times I'd lay down and just do a 10 minute thing. But then I started building an awareness of what was going on below my neck. And pretty soon, right away, it was like, oh, my God, there's a lot going on. My stomach and my chest and my solar plexus and all this repressed emotion, repressed energy. I, it turns out I had a bunch of demonic entities hanging out in there. There was all kinds of stuff just just stuck in my body. And so the practice became about like Meister Eckhart. I was very inspired by that Meister Eckhart quote. Remember, he says, the kingdom of God is not found within the human soul by a process of addition, but by subtraction. Hmm. So my whole thing was, so if I subtract all that gunk that I'm feeling in there, what remains? And and that the Imago Dei, the image of God, is what remains. And that is a path, as it turns out, to enlightenment, to this to this thing that they talked about in, you know, in some of the other traditions about the enlightenment. I think Jesus called it the kingdom of God, right? But this this revelation of who we really are. And it's it turns out, and just like Jesus said, it's in you, right? The kingdom of God is within you. And that we can actually find it. So embodied practices is everything. So in my practices now, when I'm dealing with clients, or, you know, one-on-one in my life coaching, when I'm dealing with, when I'm doing talks, when it, whatever it is I'm doing, even in my writing, everything is about coming into the body. So even as a soccer parent, on frame was to parents of soccer players, right? And I'm trying to get parents to feel their bodies while they're on the sideline. Feel what, when their kid scores the goal, what's that feel like? We react straight out of the mind. We just go, ah, we go crazy. <laughs> And I want parents to go, oh, my gosh, and start to notice what's going on and how much they're projecting so much of what they hold in their bodies on, onto them, you know, onto their, into the kids out there. But when we get into conscious unconscious, it turns out most of what we hold in the body is deeply unconscious. And so the, the ego manages it with belief systems, and we create conscious belief systems, and we have unconscious belief systems, right? So yep. the conscious belief system, you know, I, I, I don't know, maybe you and I talked about this before. My sister one time, she was – my younger sister was kind of scared. She was getting some threatening emails. She's a social worker, so she was working on this case, and she was scared, and she comes to the siblings, my older sister and my brother and I, and she's like, hey, guys, will you pray for me? And my sister says to her, she says, don't worry, sis, God will protect you, but get a taser, right? <laughs> so she had a conscious belief system, God will protect you, and an unconscious belief system. God might not exist, so you better get a weapon, right? Mm. Get a taser, right? And that's that's how most of us function. We function in the tension between our conscious and unconscious belief systems. And if we can become an integrated person where we can bring kind of collapse the, the gap between those two things, turns out we can live in pretty profound levels of peace and joy and happiness and be agents for change in the world. As you were saying that, you know, what came to mind is I'm, I'm in the midst of uh, yoga training to be an instructor. And one of the things they were talking about was the psoas, you know, this muscle in our hips and yeah. how literally trauma and past experiences are actually stored there. Yeah. And so as yeah. you begin to stretch that, mm-hmm. is that, it's not uncommon for a leg to start shaking, for yeah. tears to come. And 
I think as people, you're talking about integration. I think our tendency is to disintegrate and say, well, how can I, as you talk about, medicate that? Or how can I, let me change position so I stop Mm -hmm. feeling that. And it seems like your invitation is to say, how can you go deeper into that? Remember what happened and enter into it. Yeah. Yeah. And and it's not always necessary to remember what happened, even though the, that energy that's stuck in there holds memory. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and the, the, you know, I've gotten way into quantum physics and trying to bring good language to this stuff. And, and the physics of it's fascinating, but it, it holds memory. But I found that it's not necessary to necessarily engage in the trauma or in the, in the memories of what happened or to engage the energy itself. Now, now, sometimes those memories will come fresh, flush, you know, kind of rushing in, and sometimes it's necessary a little bit to, to work with those things in order to access that energy. Yeah, or but name yoga, them or that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, but we, but a stretch in yoga has an ability to access an energy without having to actually think about it at all. You know, it's like I've I've watched people. I remember I was talking to a chiropractor one time. You know, I was saying, hey, do you ever have people go into process? I call it process when energy starts kind of come, wanting to come out of the body. So do you ever have people go into process after doing an adjustment? And he goes, oh, all the time. He goes, well, I'll, I'll give somebody a chiropractic adjustment, you know, pop right here. And all of a sudden they have they want to scream. I'll just give them a pillow and I'll just let them scream in the pillow because all this repressed rage, mm. just boom, and it comes out. Now, do we know where the rage came from? Maybe not. But is the energy coming out? Yes. Can we transform someone without necessarily having to access that trauma? Yeah, I believe we can. I think that some of the therapeutic theories that demand that we go into that, I think, are actually do us a disservice and it keeps people from wanting. Because the ego is so on guard to mentally having to engage trauma, you know, that working with the learning to work with the, the raw energy actually, I think, is really, really helpful at times. You know, I feel like there's so much here. Because, (laughs) you know, I've been talking uh, to people a lot about fear lately Mm -hmm. and, you know, in our political climate about uh, our role in change in the world, what we believe and what we do. And I think so much of it really finds integration in this place of saying, how can we truly engage not just our mind, right? We like to think that that's where we truly exist is what I believe in my head. I mean, you know, Peter Rollins has that great example of someone asking him, do you deny the resurrection? (laughs) And he says, of course I do. Every time I don't speak up for someone who has no voice, every time, you know, I ignore justice, every, you know, and he goes, and I affirm it occasionally when I shed a tear for those with no more, you know, tears to shed. And that to me is an embodied way of living. And so, you know, it it makes me think of this quote that you had where you said that most of the suffering we experience is actually underneath what we experience on the surface. So that we like to mask it. What's underneath the surface, we like to shove down and out of the way and just sort of deal with what our mind has to offer so for you when when we do that in our life or when you've done that in your life what is the problem with that what do you see is coming out yeah you know it's actually really interesting you bring up pete's quote because that's real famous with pete right and i wish i could put pete in front of me and say do you deny the crucifixion mm. right and and i i will you know you know pete is like from listening to him is like ear candy but i would love to hear his, <laughs> his answer to that because i think that the, the denial of the body is is the denial of the crucifixion Right, that what we what we're seeking, and the ego is seeking to get to the resurrection without having to endure the crucifixion. Right, if we, uh, it's almost like it's necessary to realign our church practice with let's do Fridays. You know, let's always have a service on Friday so that when we get to Sunday, it means more. 
You know what I mean? Yeah, we, yeah. You know, we, we just, you know, what if we started a practice every Friday night where you can come and experience the depth of the loss and the pain and what it is to actually be human so that when Sunday comes, that there's something true about it. But what we do is the ego creates a structure where, nope, we're, we're going to get to Sunday. And so we never have to actually access the pain that we're really feeling, the, the struggle that we're really feeling, like just get me to that resurrection. So most people, that's why I'll ask people all the time, why do you go to church? Oh, the worship, the worship, you know, they get and they can experience this uplifting high vibrational energy and we can all just pour everything or our, our pain out on God without ever having to actually endure it ourselves. And, for, you know, for, that's why for me, Christianity is a very, it has to be in the body. The crucifixion is a body experience. Jesus wasn't killed, you know, you know, hypothetically. Right. You know what I mean? He didn't right. suffer hypothetically. He didn't suffer conceptually or theologically. He suffered in his body. Right. Yeah. And that that enduring that experience, you know, like that death of of giving ourselves that to that that death and really feeling it in our bodies is the the most important part important part. When I first started healing, there was times where that I would encounter some of those stories of trauma and there would be this realization of the death. I still remember when I realized that my mother didn't actually love me. Mm. There was a death that happened. I remember going that. Oh, my. It was like this. I came to this truth and something died in me but that thing needed to die because it was true the truth was she was never capable of loving hmm. and i and i couldn't see her clearly with love and grace and forgiveness and 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 kindness because there was always this unconscious conscious part of me resenting it so up here i'd say well of course my mother loves me but my and inside i'm feeling that the trauma of my childhood of really not being loved and so i came to that point where and i still remember when i came to that truth i didn't think it in my head Mm-hmm. I felt it in my body, and I grieved. And on the other side of that, I was able to to find this beautiful kind of resurrection. I came out of that going, I see my mom now. I can see her clearly. She was never really capable of that. Yeah. Instead of resenting her, I see her clearly now. You know, and it's and that's the resurrection. Does, so that, does that make sense? It does. I mean, so we're invited. I I I love you talking about the crucifixion in light of this. You know, it it, it reminds me again. I'm just going to throw out another quote here that you said. Most of us would much rather suffer unconsciously and medicate that pain than suffer consciously and find freedom. And I think it's related to the fact that we all have suffered in some way. I mean, some listeners will know my own story of, of with my wife of going through miscarriages of our last few years of betrayal and people just abandoning us and then some really difficult stuff happening. And that's just recently when I think back many years it's much easier just to try and move on and say, well, Jesus has saved me. God is good. So I'm okay now. And what's scary about that is that that stuff is still in there and it's going to come out in some way, right? Like it is, or it's going to affect us in some way. And so we would rather, and I think this is important that we are, you know, we're releasing this episode during Lent and Lent is this invitation to reflect on the fact that we are dust that we are mortal, that we have a body, to reflect on the darkness and difficulties. And maybe by doing so, it's not a denial of our faith. It's not to say, oh, everything's just really terrible all the time. But to say, maybe freedom is actually found on the cross, not in avoiding it. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe, maybe, maybe Christianity is a process, not a belief system, not a religion. You know, like maybe there's a process, there's a movement it's, it's something I, I really think, you know, one of the things I struggled with when I was young, there was certain, you know how when you're evangelical, if you're going to maintain that space, you have to kind of deny certain 
elements. You have to ignore certain teachings. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and I had to ignore when Jesus said, "You must eat my flesh and drink my blood." I, you know, you kind of ignore that one. And and when he would say, when there was this taking up your cross daily, you know, we never we 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 talk about that and we try to categorize it into some kind of harmless like it just means you know be good every day or something yeah. like that. You know. <laughs> And and there's that thing, you know. I remember that I can't remember which writer in the New Testament said, you know, working out my salvation, you know, with fear and trembling. This continue to work out your salvation. This idea of of Christianity being a daily process of death, you know. And I mean, the the cross was a was perhaps the most painful thing ever invented by man. And he's saying this every day, mm. do this every day. And that says to me that there's a process here, and it's not that res- – I mean, there's plenty of talk about the resurrection, plenty of talk about life more abundantly, peace and joy and love and mercy and kindness. And I think, honestly, the writers of the New Testament didn't do a great job of bridging some of those gaps for us and, and our theolo- theological interpretations that have been interpreted by empire that haven't really helped us understand. Yeah. I think we have to look to uh, oppressed people to actually have a theological understanding of this. You know, like, I th- I'm thinking of uh, the cross and the lynching tree. You know, James okay. Cone, books like that, that'll help us understand the gap between the suffering and the resurrection. But for me, Christianity is a process. It's a process. That's why I think a yoga flow, I, I love what you're, what you're doing in, in a, you know, looking to our brothers in the East and adopting this into this body embodiment of this spiritual truth into our, our own traditions. Because, because that yoga flow of a movement from crucifixion to resurrection mm. is Really, really great. Like, it it's is. just so needed. It's so, so needed. And, and it forces you to become present in the moment. And I think that is so central to so much of this is that, you know, in the beginning of our conversation, you were talking about how quickly we just react to a stimulus, to something that comes up. But life seems to be found in the response, not the reaction. And we can only do that when we're present, like you said, to, hey, this thing just happened. What am I actually feeling? Where is it? Can I name that place? Can I actually experience that? And to me, something like yoga says, you're going to be on the four corners of your mat. And this is the only place to be, you know, feel the strength or weakness or whatever of a different pose, where you're feeling it, where you're feeling stretched, where you're having to balance and focus. I mean, someone the other day was just talking about, you know, when you're doing like a a balance on one leg or something, you know, you have to keep your eye fixed on one point because if you're Mm -hmm. jumping around in your view, you're going to, you're going to fall over. (laughs) And so there's an invitation to say, focus in on one thing. And I feel like when you can do that, I mean, this is what you're even teaching soccer parents to do, right? To say, yep. you know, when when a ref makes a call you don't like or, uh, you know, the coach takes them out of the game, rather than yelling, go into your body and where you're feeling that. Yeah. Kind yeah, of experience absolutely. that. And that feeling can sort of guide us, right? Yes. So what does that look like for you on a daily basis, I guess? What is the, what is the sort of meant in your life, how you feel and then how you respond to that? Oh man, that's a that's a Pandora's box right there. So, <laughs> I started talking about that because as I've explored this, okay, like any person who's going to be, I don't know, uh, bold enough to, de- to decide that he's going to teach this this kind of stuff, you have to be out ahead. Yeah, you know. So I'm very much a believer in being the tip of the sword. You know what I mean? Um, if I'm going to say something to somebody, I've got to have it. I have to embody it myself. So I've gone way out into this space um, where. On a daily level now, I've peeled so many layers back inside myself that I've become extremely empathic, okay? So I feel energy everywhere. And for me, I've come to the point where 
um, almost like a kind of a blind person. You learn your other senses sharpen my ability to kind of to feel what my body's experiencing on a quantum level. Okay, to be honest, with you, on a subatomic level, it has become really, really, really profound. So, um, you know, I'll give you a great example. Like uh, last week, we had tryouts. I was co- I'm coaching soccer at the high school. And I'm coaching the JV team, and uh, we had this one player. He's a senior. He was right on the cusp of making the varsity team, but we're going to get him cut. And he's a real – his kid's got a lot of trauma. He's got a lot of emotional issues, and that's one of the reasons why I was like, hey, man, I can't carry him. It's just too much of a burden to, for us to be successful. So the varsity coach says to me, I need you to help me tell him because we knew what was going to happen. When I go up and I say, all right, man, I said uh, – I just straight up told him, I said, we don't have a spot for varsity on you. And – on an energetic level, the, tra- the trauma triggered and mm-hmm. literally flew at us. And I can feel that, right? So I can feel everything. So I'm very hyper aware of what my body's experiencing, which some people will go, man, that sounds really terrible. Well, it is until you, until you become a master of it. When you learn to master it, it's actually quite helpful. But at first, yeah, it's horrible. Um, like when it first started happening to me and I could feel everything, you can feel people's pain and you can feel all this kind of thing. So my, my body has turned into this almost uh, hypersensitive radar to the world around me. And I think most of us are like that. But the ego represses and blocks up and represses and blocks up to protect us from the bad stuff. But the problem is, of course, it protects us from the good stuff as well. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. I mean, that's yeah. what I was to say. I think like what you're talking about, some people might be like, whoa, that's way out there. But yeah. Yeah. let me tell you, when you are sitting with someone across the table who's angry at you, or yeah. who has caught fear, you have a feeling. So everyone yeah. has experienced what you're saying. But I yeah. think the key point of what you're saying is when we stick in our minds, we miss the significance right. of that moment. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's really, really helpful to have, to be able to feel I mean, think about it, like how, many, how much happens kind of on an unconscious level between two people. And when you know it's all going and you can feel it all, it it actually guides things towards beautiful, redemptive kind of experiences. You know, like I had a client really the other day. I said something to her because she was just numbing out, and I, she's 16 years old. And I said, "Hey, you know, you have to engage with me. I am not your babysitter." And I did that for on purpose to trigger <laughs> her. And boom, this anger that she's been holding in her body just spiked. And she kind of looks at me, and I go, "Did you feel that?" And she goes, "Yeah." I go, "You feel that anger?" She goes, "Yeah." And I felt it, so I can name it. Yeah. She goes, yeah. I go, we need to get that out of your body. Mm. It's it's hurting you. And she's yeah. just like, yeah. And so instead of engaging with the energy, like we're going to go to war now, I'm able to kind of experience that. And now I want to say this because I know a lot of your audience is Christian and I'm, I'm a Christian. People go, that's just really, really weird. This is every human being. Yeah. Because every human being has this ability, has this sense. People want to talk like this isn't a Christian thing. What do you, we think the prophets were? Do we think God was shouting, you know, with a <laughs> megaphone? You know what I mean? What was Jesus doing when, when the disciples healed, when Paul healed? We're dealing with energy. That is everything. We are made up of subatomic particles moving in and out of the quantum vacuum. You're 99% empty space. So we are, we are this fascinating energetic flow. I mean, the world of quantum physics, and this is just proven science. This is not a conjecture. Proven science has turned us all into this insane mystery that we seem to have the capability of creating our universe moment by moment with what we think and what we feel. We are the image of God. We are created that way, and we are creating our universe every single day. You know what I mean? We are doing this, and every one of us has these senses. And when we talk about spiritual gifts, it's remarkable to me. 
I'm going to get on my soapbox for a second. Is that cool? <laughs> of course. It's remarkable to me how the church has, has tamed spiritual gifts into things like, you have the gift of hospitality, so you get mm. to park cars. You have the gift of, you know, this or that. You know, you have, you have the gift of, you know, cooking, you know, or whatever. It's like we turn everything into this lame, service-oriented spiritual gift as opposed to what it, what the Paul was talking about, prophecy. You know what I mean? And I mean, that's why the Pentecostals for some reason gets to get to own that space because we're all scared to go there. But mm -hmm. the ability to heal, the ability to prophesy, the ability to – these are what someone calls psychic abilities, okay? These are quantum energy. We are we are dabbling in the, the stuff, the soup that makes up the universe and that is God-like stuff. That's God-force stuff. So when we – I think when we engage with Christianity as a process, we become more like Christ – Jesus said, you will do greater things than I. Amazing. <laughs> on the debt, right? Yeah. <laughs> right? So when's the last time we did that? Now, my life, if I want to be honest with it, has been this, I'm going to f jump off the cliff of believing what Jesus said, and I want to find out if any of it's actually true. And if I die, I die. And that is how I've lived. And I've done that for the purpose of trying to know, is it any of it real? And it turns out it is that I have watched miraculous healings happen, and it's not some radical Pentecostal, God did this thing. Jesus, every person Jesus healed, he said, you did this. Your faith has made you well. So I've engaged in that space, and it just so happens it translates across the board. If you read my stuff, it's not really super religious. Read on frame. I'm talking about deep emotional healing that can radically transform our lives. I've watched families' lives be changed, not just, not just in sports. I've, I've had a dad come to me and say, on frame changed our entire family dynamic. The level of love and peace and joy that exists in our family now is completely different. So the fruits of the spirit are finding their way into that space. And yeah, what I experience on a day-to-day on -day basis is pretty out there. But if you read the New Testament, it's pretty out there. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I think that I think something you know you were touching on is I think the Holy Spirit is still working. Right. Man. And I mean, so for me, like we can we can talk about quantum level. We can talk about, you know, even the wedding at Cana, for example, you know, the 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 servants had they walked the water jars over. So who did the miracle? Right. I mean, on one right. level, it's Jesus. On another level, they had to do it. Right. So right. for me, we have the Holy Spirit in us. And so when we can when we can tap into that, of course, amazing things can and should happen because Absolutely. God created everything, you know, so right. we, well, and, we, and God is even more than that. God is everything. We are all inside. You know, it's like whether it's Teresa of Avila, I can't remember which one. She said, we're not made by God. We're made of God. Right. We're made of God. We are all happening inside the body of God. That means the Holy Spirit is not subject to some stupid theological belief system it's all of us the question is whether we can see it or not whether we are willing to to go the distance to participate in it or not you know and so the starting point i feel like to to sort of sum up where we are so far the starting point is going to be you've got to begin by feeling with yourself it starts every person i've watched people move into such incredibly high levels of of enlightenment and they just started by feeling that stuff in their stomach. So not medicating yeah. it with television or yeah. alcohol or pornography or work or yeah. even other things like, you know, you can, you can do good things to the point that you're ignoring your oh, own absolutely. body. Right. And absolutely. so yeah. we're saying don't deny the crucifixion by denying your own body and your own trauma and your own issues, but enter deeper into them, allow those feelings to come out. And by doing yeah. so, it seems like 
freedom is on yeah. the other side, right? I mean, yeah, this is one absolutely. of the things that, you know, that, that sticks out to me whenever we talk on the phone or whenever we message each other, you know, you've been through some difficult things yeah. since I last saw you in person, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, we've talked yeah. a lot since then, but in person, but you've come out the other side to a freedom. Yeah, extreme freedom. I mean, what? that's the thing. And it turns out it's not your freedom. The freedom that I think that Jesus offers that he's actually trying to trying to, to show and teach is, is a freedom that, that passes out beyond our, our circumstances. You know, we, there's this phrase in the New Testament, the peace that passes understanding yeah. will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Right. That I think that's the number one characteristic of someone who's actually allowed Christianity the process to happen inside them so that you're not attached to any of this stuff, money and relationship, love, sex, all that stuff becomes something you're unattached to. And so you live in complete freedom and you can just flow. It's very, uh, it's a very strange thing. I had it. I'll tell you, it was something that happened. This isn't to toot my own horn, but this is, this was a test for me. I had a deal. I had a book deal fall through because of the coronavirus, mm. and this, and it might still happen, but it's going to be something that stretches way out and, and be, it's a piecemeal thing, but it was a full blown lump sum, $125,000. I was going to sign the deal. And the coronavirus for this company, that a global company, wants me to write some stuff for them to, to help with their awareness training and mindful training and all that stuff. And uh, it fell through. They called me like, hey, man, I'm sorry. We've had to shut down a bunch of offices. And, wow. and because I'm not attached to money anymore, you know, I'm not a rich guy, but I'm not attached to money. And the, and when I happened, it was just a complete sense of, it's okay. There's just, it is what it is. And there's this flow to it. And I trust that flow. I trust, I, I equate God to a river and I trust the current of that river. Mm. No matter if I can see it around the bend or not, I'm fine. And yeah. nothing, and when, when you, and when you're, when you're like that, they can't take anything from you. No one can take anything from you. When, when Jesus stood in front of Pilate and they said, why are you silent? Don't you know I have the power to set you free <laughs> or to kill you? And he just says, no one takes my life from me. I give it freely. That is yeah. that is the freedom we're talking about. <laughs> I know. I've been, you know, I I I won't claim to be there yet. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm in the I'm in the journey, but you know, so whenever you're listening to this, you know, right now as of today, the stock market is just tanking. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it actually hit their shutoff yesterday because it went yeah. down so far so fast. They literally closed down the stock market and yeah, said, we don't want it to go any further down. And, yeah. you know, we have we have money in there. We, we have money that we want to use in the future. And yeah. I think on one level, there's part of me that says, you got to be anxious. You got to call a bunch of people and figure this out. But then I'm reminded of the fact that God is on the throne of the universe. Yeah. And Jesus talks about lose your life to gain it. And if you try yeah. to hold on to it, that's when you lose it. And I think I'm experiencing that right now. That when I try to hold on to the things that I think are the stuff, the things I need, yeah. I end up actually losing my peace and joy in the present. I end up losing what today has to offer, which is all we have. But yeah. when I can sort of lose those things and say, what I have right now is the fact that every breath I take is the spirit of God entering me to sustain my life. Yeah. Then yeah. what are those other things? Dude, it, that's why I think that's one of the reasons why I've gotten into quantum physics so much because it's fun to recognize that when, when, when the, the science goes, Hey, just so you know, uh, time is an illusion and you can actually look at it and go, Oh wow. They actually proved that. Holy cow. Like the, the yeah. seems <laughs> the future is already, now, I mean, I had a guy tell me, he's like, just, you know, like everything that's happened in your life, that's going to happen in your life. It's already happened. I'm like, what? It's already happened. So the question is, how do you want to experience the thing that's already happened? And I'm just like, I, I don't know why, but that makes sense to me. And there's this, 
thing where I'm just like, okay, so I am, my whole goal is to be able to come to a permanent, my goal is to come to a permanent state where I'm like a dude on the inner tube just floating down the river. Where you're per- and, fully and present, fully present. Fully present. And you, you hit the rapids and you go, well, I don't know what's going to happen, but this is going to be interesting. And you just let it go. And then, and then you come to those moments of real calm and you, of course, look back at the rapids and you go, oh, that's why. And yeah. you can see it. You know? and, and to me, that's not to deny feelings. Things are no. still going to come up. But what you're Absolutely. saying is you're fully present to them so you can engage them rather than allowing them to just run and determine your right. then experience. And what I'm saying is that's a process. Oh, yeah. Right? Because that's the thing is I get people all the time. They'll read, you know, they'll grab one of Eckhart Tolle's books or something like that. They'll read The Power of Now and they'll go, dude, I'm just going to be in the moment. And they take a spirituality and they take their process and they take their belief system and they hash it around this this truth about just being present. When the truth is they're scared, you know, really, really, really scared. And they're and they're kind of pushing that part down to be in the now. My whole thing is like, no, no, being present first means being present with your fear. And it means going through that as a process. Like, you know, it's like the way you read the 23rd Psalm, right? You got the you got the still pastures and green, you know, you know, green pastures and still waters. What the first thing you come to is the valley of the shadow of death. You get to the cup that runs over on the other side, but you have to be present with that first. You have to. I I watch people all the time try to create this beautiful spirituality that is all resurrection based. Be in the now. Be in the now. Experience the joy. Experience God. And I go, yeah, but you haven't done the crucifixion yet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. We got to do that first. We have to allow ourselves. Jesus said, "My God, my God, why have you forsaken me?" The cry of dereliction, I think, resides within all of us, and I think we have to go there first. And then, and if we do that, it can become permanent reality. Yeah. We can live in that peace on a permanent basis. I just think that most people, we we don't quite have the desire to go. Like my friend Zach said, he's like, you know, he or meet with. I'm having beers with him tonight because he said, "I'm out of money, and I got to keep doing what I love." And I'm not going to, he wants to do this kind of radical faith thing because he said, I got to know what's at the bottom. Mm. I got to know what's at the bottom, like what's at the bottom. And he's talking about the bottom of himself. You know what I mean? Now, what yeah. people don't understand is that's an embodied experience. You're going to end up in the fetal position quite a bit as, the, as that stuff, as all those <laughs> attachments and all that fear just relieves your body and, and at times it's very painful. But on the other side, the, that cup starts running over. You know, can I, you mind if I tell a story real quick about that? Please go for I, it. I told you this before we started recording. Like, you know, I was homeless just over a year ago because I decided a few years ago that I was going to live this radical faith and I was going to do pursue my dreams, do what I loved, and that's it. And if there was money, fine. If there wasn't money, fine. And I've been hungry. I have two children, you know, and I just like I told my wife we're going there no matter what. And she just looked at me and she said, "Okay, I'm with you." And she gave me a fist bump and we said, "We're going to change ourselves." And, and it turns out the kids are fine. They just accept whatever narrative. You know, <laughs> give them a narrative that, you know, we just said, we're, we're going to have lots of sleepovers with friends, you know? And so we would, you know, we had sleeping bags and we would just go over to the house and say, hey, can we crash on you guys' floor tonight? And we would, we would do this. And the whole idea was, I'm going to find out what's at the bottom. And after that experience, after going through living this way for a few years and just doing my work of moving this fear out of my body, doing that therapeutic work, I came to this point where when we were homeless, there was a lot of peace. And then we were able to get into this kind of little crappy apartment, which we're still in, but it's not crappy anymore because we love it. And we, we were able to get into this place. And then sometimes during the year we had money, sometimes you don't. Sometimes I went hungry. I mean, I remember a two-week stretch where only the, ki- the kids ate. I ate their leftovers. Well, you know, January, 
after going through all this and living in this piece come this last January, just this last January, I'd had, we had a good year last year. I was able to pay off some debt and that kind of thing, but we never stacked up money or anything like that. Well, we, we, uh, we got to January and we were two months behind and everything. I hadn't seen a dime in almost two months. And, and I don't know why, because I don't go out and market. I don't look for things. I don't push things. Part of my experiment is I wait, I meditate, I wait. I can, and if there's no money, I'm meant to not have money. Mm-hmm. And if there is money, I'm meant to have it. And it was just like that. I'm just trusting the river. But, and I'm saying, again, this isn't for everybody, but this is the way I lived. When I come to January and my company, we had like 700 bucks left in our bank account. You know, I started a company with this guy. We've been trying to work on selling this stuff, selling on frame and trying to work with soccer clubs. And then everybody loves it, but nobody wants to buy it kind of thing. And we get to January and we spend our last dime as a company to get me to Baltimore to give a talk at the United Soccer Coaches Convention. And we were two, personally, I'm two months behind. We have an eviction notice on the door. And I get there and I'm expecting maybe 30 people. I'm hoping, you know, <laughs> 30 directors show up that we start some good conversations and maybe do some speaking or something. And people start filing in. And five minutes, you know, 20 minutes before the talk, there's already people coming in. I'm going, what in the world? And then 10 minutes before the talk, every seat is full, about 120 <laughs> seats. And then the standing room starts filling up. And then it starts spilling out in the hallway. And I'm literally going, what in the world is happening here? No explanation. Other than maybe they like the title of the talk. I don't know. Fills up and I just rock it. Because for years I've been turning myself into something that has has some – I got some, something to say. And I rock the talk and then my world just explodes. Explodes. I, and now I'm maxed out on clients and I've got two book deals to work on this year. And I'm going to Ukraine for the State Department to help with kids that are suffering from trauma and from war. Well, like I, It's just exploded and – and now, and, and what's weird is I don't feel any different than I felt before. I felt peace then, and I feel peace now. But I'm, but it turns out I'm the kind of person now. When the State Department comes and goes, we want you to go to Crimea to work with kids that are traumatized and playing soccer. I'm like, yeah, I can do that because I can. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, there's nothing. Every and people are like, can you write this book for business executives? I said, yeah, yeah. It turns out I've become the kind of person that can do that. I have this other company wanting me to write a book to solve the problem of anxiety with young female athletes. Yeah, I can do that. Turns out I came, became the kind of person that can do that too. And you, you just what comes out in the wash is that you are the person that you wanted to become all along. Yeah. And it, but it, but it takes faith. You know. Absolutely. It turns out Jesus wasn't fooling around. Paul was. It ends up faith is a real thing. But and I'm not saying everybody has to live that way. But we certainly got to stop with this. Like, you know, God will protect you, but get a taser stuff. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, there's an invitation to the cross to pick it up daily and i think you've put some really good language around what it actually might look like to do that to truly pick that up and experience it rather than shoving it down or ignoring it you know you end your book uh, the on frame book with this quote by t.s Eliot that we shall not cease from exploration at the end of all our exploring we will will be to arrive where we started and know the place for the first time. So there's an invitation here, brothers and sisters, to know yourself, to go deeper, and to find out that the Spirit <laughs> is there with you. Yeah, Seth, yeah. brother, thank you so much for your Absolutely, time today. Yeah. Thank you for having me on. This is wonderful. I Amen. enjoyed this. Awesome. Yeah. Hey friends, Phil here again. Before we go, I just want to say thank you again for joining us for this discussion. I pray that you were blessed, challenged, encouraged, that you have something to think about, that you are diving into your feelings already. 
So I definitely recommend that you go and check out Seth's work, both his books, Feels Like Redemption and On Frame, as well as his website, sethallentaylor.com. If you enjoyed this interview, we do interviews frequently on Rua Space, everyone from Heather Hutzel and Cindy Parker to Father Albert Haas and Dwight Friesen, covering many different ways to make space for the spirit. We'd also ask you to leave us a review on Apple iTunes, drop some stars and some comments. Those are a blessing to us and help us to expand this ministry. So friends, as you go forth, may you experience the present moment. May you dive deeper into your body, your experiences, your feelings and emotions. And may you find freedom in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Grace and peace be with you.